Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles this morning. And we are going to explore the teaching that begins in verse number 7. We're going to explore it in the context of the Lord's Sermon. But I do want to start by having you look just at the opening phrase of verse number 7 without any reference to the context. And I know many of you are turning there, but I want to give you a chance to get there, and I'd really like for you to just look at that opening phrase of verse number 7. So Matthew 7, verse 7 reads, Ask, and it shall be given you. And I'm just going to stop right there, and I want to ask you if, in fact, you have received everything you've ever prayed for. I can tell you of one test case in my own life where I ended up being very disappointed. I was, I think, in the neighborhood of eight to nine years old. I was growing up in a rural area of central Washington. Um, gone into a grocery store uh, with my mom that had other items, kind of like the forerunner of uh, today's Walmart superstore. And I don't remember what the promotion was, but I remember very clearly that there was an off-road dirt bike that I think was like a 110, 120cc engine that I thought at the time was just perfect for me. And you could put your name in a drawing um, for that motorcycle. And I convinced my mom to fill that out and drop our name in that big bucket. And the next week, our family was at some kind of church camp. And I don't remember all those details, but I do remember being in a cabin with my dad and I think mostly um, teenage boys. And I remember distinctly to this day, laying on my bunk, especially at night, and night after night, I asked God to give me that motorcycle. And I brought up on multiple occasions in prayer that he said, ask, and it shall be given. And he said to ask in faith. And there were several things I knew at that time, and I was telling him that I believed, and I'm asking And I'm fully expecting him to give me that motorcycle. I mean, I told the Lord that repeatedly. And do you know what? I never got that 120cc dirt bike. In fact, I was stuck with a little 80 Yamaha that even my younger sister could handle. I mean, what went wrong? Ask and it shall be given. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that some people think I get whatever I pray for is scriptural teaching. And he said they ignore all other teaching and they just go to God with their requests. Their requests are not granted and they are down in the depths of depression and despair. They say that God does not seem to be fulfilling his promise and they are terribly unhappy. And I'm guessing you've likely been there to one degree or another. I, like I said, I was eight or nine. And I just figured it was me that was messed up and not God and his word and his promises. But it did undermine something 
in my own heart at that point. Dr. Lloyd-Jones went on to call for examining this phrase in its context and in the breadth of Scripture, and we're going to do that uh, in just a minute. But I want to add something of his own personal testimony about this matter of not getting everything we asked for. Again, I'm quoting from him, but he said, let me put this bluntly. I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance ask him. In my past life, I, like all others, have asked God for things, asked God to do things, which at the time I very much wanted, which I believed were the very best things for me. But now, standing at this particular juncture in life and looking back, I can say that I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I had asked, and that he shut doors in my face. At the time, I did not understand, but I know now, and I am grateful to God for it, So I thank God this is not a universal promise and that God is not going to grant me every desire and every request. And brethren, you have the same kind of testimony, don't you? Whatever else is going on in the tension in your heart, there are some things you look back on and say, God, thank you that you did not give me that. Thank you that it was your mercy that you slammed that door shut that I wanted to be open. So if this is not a universal promise that I get everything that I asked for, what, what am I to understand and how am I to apply this expression? And the place to start, as with anything, is just to start with why does this teaching come right at this point in the Lord's Sermon? Because this is the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, started in chapter 5, continues through chapter 6, and now into chapter 7. It's all one big sermon, and, and we want to ask why does this teaching come right here? And if you've been with us for previous messages in our series, I trust you have some markings in your Bible that help you remember that we're in a section that in some respects began back at the the start of chapter 6. And right at the start of chapter 6, we gave the label, and really it's the opening expressions there, but the practice of true righteousness. Chapter 5, the nature of true righteousness. Chapter 6, the practice of true righteousness. And, and in these opening verses of chapter 7, we're still in that big idea of the practice of righteousness. But now it narrows down to the practice of righteousness in relationships to others. Right? In verse number 3, there's a reference right here in chapter 7, verse 3, there's a reference to whose eye. It is, just say it, it is whose it's our brother's eye. And in verse 4, another reference to our brother. In verse 5, another reference to our brother. And when we move into verse 6, there's teaching about how to relate to people that could be described as dogs and pigs. Down in verse number 15, if you just take your eyes down there, there's some teaching about relating to false prophets. And, and if you come back to verse 12, which immediately follows this teaching on prayer that we're going to look at this morning, we have a verse definitely occupied with relationships. In verse 12, the, that, that verse has come to be known as the what kind of rule. It is the what? What do we call it? The, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So all of this section is about doing right in relationships, right? And Verse 12, even the word therefore, okay, is pointing us to the connection. So all of that to say, 
that the teaching on prayer in verses 7 through 11 is not disconnected from the subject of practicing righteousness in relationships, all right? Doing right in relationships is the broad theme, and this teaching on prayer is connected to that. Right now, when you recognize that fact, and you adjust your focus now to look for then a connection between prayer and doing right in relationships, okay, what is that connection then? Well, you start to walk back through the flow to this point, and you actually see a need that starts to emerge. The opening words of verse number one admonish us to, to not do what? First word is, okay, judge not. Then in verses three and four, the particular type of judging he has in mind is portrayed as something ridiculous. I mean, a man is so fixated, remember, on a speck of dust in the eye of his brother while he's operating with what amounts to a large beam obstructing his own ability to see things straight. But even though that's the condition, he wants to go ahead and thinks he's ready to practice, you know, minor surgery on his brother's eye when he can't even see anything straight. And with that word picture, the Lord is confronting, again, our tendency to exaggerate another person's issues. Our tendency to give the worst possible interpretation on what we saw in our brother. And we presume that we know their motives. They're ill-intended. And, and we can be very quick to reach a, a really negative conclusion about our brother while we excuse ourselves, we give ourselves massive benefit of the doubt, and we've kind of summarized that condition under the label of judgmentalism. And it's a serious matter that we all struggle with, and the Lord knows it, and he actually says, stop doing that, stop judging Stop that judgmentalism. We all struggle with it. But with that warning sounded, without any transition, Jesus goes on in verse 6 to issue an exhortation to do what? Okay, Stop judgmentalism in verses 1 through 5. And actually in verse 6, he actually exhorts us to make judgment calls. Okay? He refers to some people as dogs. And some people as pigs. It actually calls on us like to not give that which is holy to them and not to cast our pearls before the swine. So he actually calls on us to be discriminating about who and where and how we minister to people. And in some cases, he actually tells us to withdraw ministry from some people. And what we saw last week is that this isn't here, this is an, an isolated one-time emphasis. This isn't the only place Jesus says anything like that. He repeatedly makes that point. And Paul did. And Peter did. And I'm just talking about references that we looked up. There are some antagonistic unbelievers. And there are some false teachers. And there are some backsliders that you're not even totally sure who you're looking at at the time. And there are even some brethren in the church we saw in Titus that you just have to reach the conclusion that there are better uses of the resources of time and energy and all that goes along with ministry. You'd be better to invest somewhere else than keep wrangling with certain kind of people. So the practice of 
righteousness in relationships, all right? And this is where we want to really zero in. The practice of righteousness in relationship involves avoiding hypocritical judgmentalism on one side while still practicing healthy discrimination and healthy discernment on the other hand. And I want to ask you how many of us think, so what? I pretty well have mastered the balance involved. <laughs> All right, you got it? I, I, I think I pretty well got it. I mean, I, I avoid judgmentalism, and I nail the discernment, and I think I've got it. I, I will tell you that for me, and I think for some of you, you'd acknowledge that, that the tension involved there in doing right in relationships is really one of the biggest burdens on your heart. And sometimes it's even an agonizing burden. And, and some of you struggle with that in the work environment. Maybe in the arena of broader parachurch institutions and brethren of other ministries. Um, maybe you could even face that within your own church family. And I think that sometimes even within our, our own immediate family, and you could even talk about parents and ministry to our children at some level, sometimes we even wrestle with how tenacious should I be? Right? How often should I return to the same themes? And you start to wrestle with, am I taking the right approach? Do I need to somehow adjust my approach? Do I sometimes need to just kind of, you know, drop something and, and back off? Maybe sometimes even, do I need to remove myself in, in some way? And if I'm supposed to do that, do I, how do I do that honorably? And, and I would just say this, that if... If you have to say, I really do struggle with those kinds of questions. I really struggle with the tension. I mean, I don't want to just be tearing people apart, including even my own children. But on the other hand, am I just supposed to overlook big issues and just drop it? Then, brethren, if you struggle with those kind of questions, then one observation I want to make from this passage is that that struggle is actually one mark of a citizen of Christ's kingdom, right? And I don't want to make too much about that observation and make it sound like it's the only one because I think at a certain level, anyone that cares about others can wrestle with us, right? But brethren, I do believe that God's people that take very seriously the words of Jesus and the admonitions on both sides of this, of this issue Okay, God's people that take his word very seriously can actually wrestle with this to a greater intensity even than others. Because you know, don't you, you know that this isn't just about a peaceful environment to work in and live in. Okay? This, is about, this is about the work of God. This is about the testimony of Christ. What's burdening you is his truth and his church, and people's eternal souls, and, and the stewardship of my ministry and my one life. And the fact is, if you care about all of that, you won't just sit back and just carve up everybody as if they're all just totally messed up and you're the only one that sees anything straight. You know that's not right. You don't want to be there. 
But on the other hand, you know you can't just avoid all discrimination. You can't avoid all discernment. You can't avoid all confrontation. You can't avoid weighing out ministry. You can't just say, well, that's their problem. It's not mine. You can't because there's too much at stake. So what do you do with those burdens? And what do you do when you're a sensitive disciple of Christ and you want to minister to people and because you take all those words seriously, the intensity is so high on your heart? Well, what you do right in the flow of this is you turn to verses 7 through 11. And what you do is ask, then it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? All right, brethren, what you do with all of those burdens about relating to people and ministering to people, what you do with all of that burden is you go to your Heavenly Father in prayer and you ask Him to help. And you might, you might need to ask Him for grace to continue to care enough to keep ministering because sometimes in relationships it gets so heavy and you get so burned and you don't think it's even happening and at some point you're just like, I don't even know what the point is and you're ready to just check out on ministry. Or maybe you go to him for grace not to just dismiss one aspect of of truth or the other because sometimes we can just get to the place where I'm sick of it and I'm just going to let those people have it. Or sometimes I get to the place where I stop battling and I'm just, I'm not going to battle them anymore. And I'll just lay off the truth altogether. Sometimes you go to him and ask for additional insight and light from his word. And it's like, Lord, I don't even really know where to turn right now, but would you use your word? Because I don't have clarity. I don't have clarity about what I'm seeing. I don't know how I should respond. There's multiple truths and I don't know what truth to give the the greatest weight to right now you might ask him to just reveal what needs to be known about the true state of others and the and the situations that you're wrestling with whether it's whether it's really encouraging or whether it's profoundly disappointing just say lord would you reveal what i really need to know when i need to know it about what i'm facing you might even ask the Lord to just, Lord, in your mercy, would you just providentially alter the circumstances so that you show your hand clearly and, and, and almost just take the decision out of my hands. You might ask for wisdom to make sure that, that you know, that what I think is one plus one equals two, to make sure that those are really the factors involved here. And then I'm, I'm seeing, I'm getting some handle on it. You might, you might ask for endurance. To stay at doing what I understand to be the will of God and the mind of God right now until you make something else clear. And Lord, help me to endure and not just on a whim and the grass is greener, you know, apparently greener somewhere else, just bolt. 
But, but whatever the specific form and direction that asking takes on, brethren, when we have these burdens in relationships and about wanting to do right with the balance of the truth that God has given about relationships, when you have these burdens, what we must do is we must pray. And we even need to add pray persistently. And persistence is witnessed to in, in part, I think by all three of those expressions being used, ask and seek and knock. And, and in one sense, I think they are synonyms in our context. Um, and yet, I, it, in another perspective, I think the three different expressions are, are maybe pointing to even different ways. We just talked about how, how would I plead with the Lord for help? And, and I may be asking multiple questions in that. But the fact that the Lord is using the three different words points to some ongoing activity. Don't just ask once. I mean, ask and seek and knock. Be persistent in this. Keep praying. But then even the grammar points to persistency. All three of these imperatives, whether the ask, the seek, and the knock, in the Greek language, they're present tense, which communicates ongoing action. And some of you may have a marginal note in a study Bible that even says, like, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking and some have communicated that the idea is is ask and keep on asking okay seek and keep on seeking knock and keep on knocking and brethren we have to acknowledge that the urging involved here to pray and and to pray persistently that does witness to a weakness in us as God's people. The fact that Jesus says pray and keep on praying, persist in prayer, is a witness to a, a weakness in us. Okay? And one weakness in us okay, is that sometimes we just do mental gymnastics right, about all these relationship things. And, and we think, I don't want to go this side, I don't want to get this side, I don't know what. And we do all mental gymnastics about all of it, and we try to sort it all out up here in our mind, and we never actually get around to doing what? We never actually get around to praying about it. And I'm sure our fleshly nature is an influence in that direction to keep us from going to God in prayer. But at some level, the weakness... That, that the Lord is fingering by urging us to pray and pray persistently, at some level the weakness involved is that sometimes we do question whether or not prayer really does any good. And maybe we have prayed for something we thought we had the right to pray for and we didn't get what we asked. And now we question whether it does any good. Maybe sometimes people just feel small and insignificant. And I mean, I mean why would God listen to me? I'm not a big deal. Maybe in the accumulation of life circumstances, you've started to think that God is just postured in, in a basically negative way towards you. It can be that somebody starts to think about the sovereignty of God over all man's affairs in terms of kind of a fatalism. And just, what's the point? And to whatever degree or however we've arrived there, in the face of questioning whether prayer really does any good, Jesus gives some encouragement. Then he gives two reasons why we should keep on asking. Then the first one in verse number 8 is because everyone that asks does what? 
Okay, everyone that asks does receive. And brother, I just want to say that again, that if you're talking about a true child of God, and that is important because not everyone is a child of God, right? Jesus said to some people, you are of your father, the devil. Okay, God is the creator of all. But when we talk about our heavenly father, we're talking about a particular relationship. Somebody, be, somebody has the right to be called the son of God, John 1, 12, by virtue of a saving believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right now, if you are a true child of the Heavenly Father, there is a universal certainty about this. And, and if we are going to consider a broader theology of prayer, there is much that can be explored about the conditions for asking. What is even involved in receiving? I think there are 21 occasions in the Gospels alone where Jesus urges asking, right? And each of those have their own setting, and there's truth to be learned, all right? But this statement, right, this statement right here in this setting is simple, and it's straightforward. If you are a true child of God, and you're trying to give appropriate weight to scriptural teaching about doing right in relationships. And you feel the need for God's help. And you petition your heavenly father. You get help. That is a universal promise to all of God's true children. And we do struggle because... There are promises of advertisers and politicians and, you know, homemade health experts and dietitians and whatever else. And they end up leaving us skeptical about big claims. But I want to remind us about the source of this promise. Because, brethren, the source of this promise that if you ask for help when you're trying to do right and give scriptural weight to what the Bible's teaching about relationships. You're trying to do right and you sense your need. The one who promised that you will get help every time you ask for it is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I, I want to ask you again, do you believe, God, that if you seek him for help in this arena, that you will get it? It really does get us right down to the question of our faith. And can we take God at his word? And if you are prepared to take God at his word, I do want to draw your attention to a detail concerning the promise that as English readers we could miss. And that is that those verbs in verse number eight, that are translated receive everyone that asks receives or receiveth he that seeketh findeth all right those verbs are in the present tense right and and one greek grammar says about this the verb tense where the writer portrays an action in process or a state of being right so the idea communicated is that everyone who asks is receiving and everyone who seeks is finding. Right now that next phrase does shift to a future when it says if you knock it shall be in the future opened. All right. 
But the first two are present. And, and the point is, there's an immediacy to this. Okay? You may not be seeing immediate results. But if you're a child of God and you have asked for help, God is already at work. He's moving in you. He's moving in the hearts of others that you're burdened about. He's moving in the circumstances that are behind the scenes. Listen, God is at work already and he will keep working. The time and and the way he answers, those are matters to leave to God. But that he will move to help you is a truth that no one should doubt because of who made the promise. The promise is the first encouragement to persist in prayer. But then notice the second encouragement to persist in prayer is the, is the dynamic in verses 9 and 10 that exists in a relationship between a father and a son. And I know things can get <clears throat> a little tricky for some of us here because none of us have had perfect fathers. And none of us are perfect fathers. And sometimes we can get a skewed view of God because of our earthly fathers. But I want to tell you, we're going to see that Jesus actually notes that we have flawed fathers. But he still uses the analogy, right? And in verse 9, he says, right, is there any father anywhere that would have a son who is hungry and that son asks for bread and the dad says, go eat a rock, kid. Is there any father that does that? And in verse number 10, is there any dad that when a son asks for fish to eat, that he would give him a poisonous snake instead? I mean, the situations, they almost seem absurd to us because they're just so unthinkable. Right? No dad, whatever the struggles are in relationships between fathers and sons, there's no dad doing that. And in verse 11, if that's the case with even evil fathers, that's why I said Jesus admits it. And men, I wish I had better news to give you about the word evil. It does really mean bad, <laughs> guilty, corrupt. There's other words that you'd rather I not elaborate on, right? And, and what it's saying is there's not any of us that are pure through and through in all of our motives and all the ways we respond. And yet, listen, and yet messed up fathers like us would not do the unthinkable acts of verses 9 and 10. And we still, in verse 11, as you continue on, we still give what? We still give good gifts to our children. All right, now, I'm supposed to make a little equation out of that. And on the one side of the equation are messed up dads who, however messed up they are, they still give good gifts to their children. And on the other side of the equation is a perfect heavenly father. Okay, and now notice the words. Our perfect heavenly father is much more. Those are the very words of the text. Our perfect heavenly father is much more predisposed to give good thanks to his children when they ask. Now, I know this is right where we can have another really kind of significant internal struggle. Because someone might say, but pastor, I have prayed about some relationships 
in the past. And God has allowed me to go through some things in those relationships that I would do everything in the world to prevent my children from having to go through. I mean, God's made me eat some things in terms of the circumstances of life that I would never put on my son's plate. And God has made me drink something that I would never make my daughter have to drink. And, and with those kind of struggles, we, we are right back to the issue of what we're going to believe about the character of God. Are, am I going to believe Psalm 8411, that the Lord God is a sun and a shield and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? Am I going to believe those things? And brother, what I have to believe is that God sees some things about my present situation that I don't have the vantage point to see. I mean, I'm in the middle of the forest and all I'm seeing is the tree, but God sees the whole forest. And God knows some things about my future that I certainly don't. And I might not even know about till I get to heaven. And, and I am faced with, do I believe, do I believe in my heavenly father's omniscience? That he really knows everything. Do I believe in my heavenly father's love? Do I believe in my heavenly father's faithfulness? To the place that I can absolutely trust him. All right, and I actually even think this. Which one of those characteristics of God, if I think of God's omniscience and God's love and God's faithfulness, all right, which one of those characteristics about my God do I want to edit out from my faith? And it's none of the above. And dear child of God, the teaching of the Lord Jesus in this passage is that you are going to have ongoing needs that are the kinds of needs that they really are just going to floor you. They're going to so weigh you down that you sink with heavy burdens. But when you sink, the place that we ought to sink is right to our knees. And you're going to have ongoing burdens in doing right in relationships till the day we go to be with the Lord. And the admonition about all of that is to pray and to persist in prayer. Because when you ask for help, you receive it immediately. And because you have a father who always responds to your prayers by granting you good things. So let the burdens of the relationships drive you to your knees. Don't let them drive you to quit. Don't let them drive you to stop caring. Don't let them drive you to just stop ministering. Don't let them drive you to just being harsh and just rip everybody to shreds. Don't let them drive you to the other place where you just condone everything and look away and never care enough to speak truth. But let him drive you to your knees to watch God work and believe him and live to see his hand 
engaged in those relationships. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't know where you're at right now, but it may be that somebody right now feels some of this burden really acutely. And, and someone may even have to say, Pastor, you don't know half of it. It's not just with this individual or this situation, but I mean, there are so many of those. All right. Go to the Lord even about it now, and I know we need more time than this brief time right here. But go to the Lord about it now. But what we want to do, even above all the particular situations, is adjust our mindset about him and about the means of grace that prayer is and about believing his promises because of what we believe him to be.